And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to The Great Movies Pod, a retrospective film review show, the podcast where we watch and discuss each of the films covered in Roger Ebert's seminal film essay collection, The Great Movies. I'm Jana Gardner. I'm Nick Fulton. And I'm Dylan Quayer. This week, the film we are discussing is Battleship Potemkin, the 1925 Soviet silent film directed by Sergei Eisenstein. It presents a dramatized version of a mutiny that occurred in 1905 when the crew of the Russian battleship Potemkin rebelled against its officers. It has been named one of the greatest films of all time um, by many different groups and organizations, um, including in 2012 when BFI named it the 11th greatest film of all time. Um, highly influential, referenced over and over, um, and we're going to talk about it. So... Guys, what was your prior experience of this movie before you sat down to watch it this week for the podcast? Is it a favorite of yours that you throw on every weekend to really just have a <laughs> kickback, fun movie watching time? Uh, couldn't even crack the top ten. Like, pretty weak. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've seen this a couple other times. The last time I saw it actually was maybe four or five years ago, maybe sometime when I lived up in Cleveland. Um, they played it at a theater and they actually had a band and I, I for the life of me can't find what the band's called but they had a band come and they did the uh like orchestral accompaniment to to the movie so seeing it that way on the big screen was actually really really cool um and we'll talk about how the movie's a little bit like sort of t- tough to grapple with it's a it's really unusual and like unlike the other movies we've covered so far mm-hmm. um but seeing it that way, especially on the big screen, it's it's a pretty entertaining movie in like certain parts of it. Um, and of course, we'll talk about when it's I think at its most <laughs> entertaining. But I do I do like it, and it's short enough that I think it's it doesn't feel um, daunting the way some uh, other like three hour right silent movies do. Right, not at all. And I don't think it's a coincidence that. Uh, in Ebert's essay, in his great films essay, it's almost entirely about his experience of seeing it in sort of the way you describe Nick. Like he basically says mm-hmm. that, you know, he knew the movie was important, but how can you really enjoy watching it? And then breaks down this time he saw it in a big outdoor screening with a big crowd with a live band. And I was like, well, now I want to watch it that way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I I found it funny that that was basically like this is the only reason why it's in the I, great I movies book is he had one good showing of it like two years before he wrote the book or something. It really he always I always bring up that in the in his essays he often leans heavily on personal experiences, which fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's talking about why in his opinion these are mm-hmm. great movies, but it's like in the two thousand one episode or, or in the two thousand one essay that was all about him attending the premiere, um, and there's been other ones like that, and so this was another one where it's like. It's a great movie because of a really good time he had watching it, which is what makes movies great for people. So no judgment, but um, I did think that was funny. What about you, Dylan? You'd seen this before? Oh, yeah. Um, I assume this is probably in my 20-some time I've seen this movie Mm -hmm. because I watched it, like, daily as a 7th grader, 8th grader that was like, oh, I'm going to study film and become a filmmaker. Like, this is the most important movie ever. And 
Yeah, I haven't watched it in like eight years since. Sure, that. sure. But I did see it a lot when I was younger, and well, so I think there is for good reason, because it is very um, technical. I think that's my main word I'm going to be it's using. Technical. Well, and I think what Nick said, too, though, is a good point, which is it's also, it is easy to watch. It's not like some, mm-hmm. you know, homeworky slog. It's 75 minutes long. It's very visually interesting. It moves. Like, it mm-hmm. just sort of gets you through the story. Um, so I can totally see that. Like, sitting down and thinking, I want to learn how movies work, so I'm going to watch this movie, and it will tell me what I need to know. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. cut together so rapidly. Like, mm-hmm. this, the scenes um are so like they feel so fast paced that it's Mm -hmm. it's a short movie and it doesn't really drag um Mm -hmm. because of the way it's assembled can i i when you mentioned that it was the uh 11th and the most recent sight and sound poll you can find who voted for it oh on uh the bfi website so i i looked through they have it divided by director and by um critic Mm -hmm. and the director's name that I think is probably the most notable director, or at least for me, the most notable director was uh, Michael Mann voted for it. But I want to read his his other picks. Oh, I love so, I love this list. I know it's on this list, and I love it. <laughs> Please so, read it. These are Michael Mann's ten favorite movies. So uh, some common uh, or not surprising picks. There's uh, this Apocalypse Now. Citizen Kane, Dr. Strangelove, Passion of Joan of Arc, Raging Bull, The Wild Bunch, My Darling Clementine, and then <laughs> in Yari 2's Beautiful and James Cameron's av- oh. in James Cameron's Avatar. He has Avatar oh. and Beautiful on that list. It's really amazing. <laughs> so like it, it's weird enough that anyone is putting those two but michael mann putting those two is bizarre right at least with avatar I don't really know how to like i'm to not that. a huge avatar defender or anything but like at least with avatar like that movie was a very big deal and like mm. you know it was very maybe not in a good way but sort of influential on where movies have gone blockbuster wise and the use of technology etc cetera, etc cetera. you can sort of respect the craft of it i haven't seen beautiful because i try to not see in your two movies unless I absolutely have to for some reason but I just no one talks about that movie and it's just sitting on his top 10 list I would love to know why uh what about that really depressing seeming movie spoke to him so much I kind of respect it honestly like a, a choice that bizarre is pretty cool in its <laughs> I know own. it's like you start off with like Citizen Kane Dr. Strangelove like no one's pushing back on these picks mm-hmm. and then you really are like I'm gonna tell him what I really think that is a wild list. But so he had, okay, so he had Battleship Potemkin on his list. Good to yeah. know. Mm. Yeah. One thing Avatar wasn't influential on was getting Avatar sequels made, though. Oh, hey, they are, they are trying. He, he, they, <laughs> they are just now. James Cameron's being allowed back into New Zealand. Uh, it was in the news this week. Dude, after, like, COVID <laughs> lockdown, they're allowing James Cameron back into New Zealand. <laughs> I think they're actually so good at getting sequels made that they've been making four of them for a decade. Like every time, <laughs> okay, that's a fair. Every argument. time someone interviews Zoe Saldana, she's always like, "Yeah, no, I mean, I I filmed stuff. Like, I don't know what's happening with it. I shot a movie. I think you'll all see it someday." Oh, what a absolutely strange thing James Cameron is doing. Well, I, I have an interesting th- thing to say though. Um, when you guys are saying it's very watchable and stuff, mm-hmm. 
Um, I don't know if it's because it's been a long time, but I have a lot of familiarity with this movie. But this was only the second time in history I've fallen asleep in a movie. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Wait, the only... Hold and on. it was like 20 oh, minutes only in. Only the second time that you've fallen asleep watching this movie or any movie? A- any movie. I don't fall asleep in I movies, like, ever. I fall asleep during, like, half the movies I try to watch. <laughs> <laughs> the only other one was Good Night and Good Luck. Oh, I fa- I've slept through that. Uh, it's because that's a sleep. It's because they said good night, and you're like, all right, <laughs> all right. I just looked over my shoulder, like Matt was listening or something. He loves that movie. Um, no, and, and it's good. I, I was just fell asleep when I tried to watch it. Yeah, I I was watching it on the. Wh- where did you guys watch Battleship Potemkin? Criterion Channel. Criterion Channel. It is on HBO Max for people who are looking for it in other places. Yeah, and I actually use Prime though. Oh, okay. The Prime version I watched. It was a two-hour version where there was an hour-long Eisenstein documentary tacked onto the end of oh, it. Oh, okay. And so I fell asleep like twenty minutes in when the f- when they were, the prisoners were about to be shot. And <laughs> that's when things. That's when it really starts cooking. Like that's when yeah. the movie really starts going. <laughs> I know. I don't know what. Like it's not an uninteresting part of the movie. And I just woke up and there's like some guy talking about like Eisenstein. I'm like what the. F- what is going on? <laughs> like, what happened? That would be very disturbing. That's, wow. Yeah, no, I have I have fallen asleep watching movies in the theater. So, like, I can't even. <laughs> I can't even imagine that. <laughs> Not falling asleep during movies. Uh, but, no, I, I did, though, make a point to put this on, like, early, like, when I finished work. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it still light out and everything. It's not exactly ideal movie-watching circumstances, but it looked really good still. Um, and I just wanted to make sure, especially since I knew it was a silent film and I need to be paying attention, um, and that if you do look away, you're going to be missing the movie. Um, so that's – I take it you uh, went back to where you left off and then finished. Oh, yeah. Actually, because it was – I mean, it's 20 minutes. I literally just started yeah. it over. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Because I was tired for the first 20 minutes anyway. I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll do it again. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, no, this movie is, is highly available, I'm guessing, just because it's so old. Um, mm-hmm. You can find it pretty much anywhere. Um, and yeah, probably I... Probably not I, Netflix, though. Cause probably it's... not Netflix. That's <laughs> true. Your, your Amazons and, and things, but not Netflix. Um, Netflix, oh, God. Netflix would never carry a movie this old on its service no <laughs> they have purged anything that's like pre-1980 so sad um so i had not i well i say so confidently i had not seen this movie before i don't think i'd seen it before i've seen so <laughs> many clips of it as i was watching it i'm like did i watch this in college it's possible that i had um but i definitely had never sat down on purpose to watch it um so that was the first time I'd done that. But a lot of it, I mean, it's, it's so famous and so well-known. And even beyond the Odessa Steps scene, um, other sequences, I was like, these images look familiar. I've probably just watched enough documentaries about movies that I've seen clips of it also <laughs> a lot. So this was my first time, though, actually sitting down and watching it start to finish. Um, and I was I was impressed. I mean, it's like we were talking about. It's watchable. Um, it's... You know, it's propaganda, right? So it's here oh, to yeah. tell <laughs> to tell a story. It's really interesting. I noticed on the Letterboxd reviews, they're like 50-50 deb- divided between, well, it's a good movie, but it's really propaganda. And then the other 50% is like, this movie, you know, is so much better than just calling it propaganda. Uh, so there's a real <laughs> divide between whether you should take that into account, which 
I don't particularly, or at least I'm I'm fine in this context, thinking, well, it's a very well-made movie, and the fact that it's propaganda and the context that it was made 20 years after this event to sort of spur action and get people all riled up for the Soviet cause and say the soldiers can be on our side. Um, it's obviously not telling a nuanced story or making a character mm. portrait of anybody. Oh, no. um, but, you know, it, it, I think it's it's good at what it does. Yeah, it's certainly not anything like movies we'll talk about in the future. Like, I don't know, Birth of a Nation is Body probably heat. a good... <laughs> I was going to say Birth of a Nation is probably a good uh, comparison Uh for a movie that had a message that was from the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, This Mm -hmm. message will be one that, like, you know, whatever. It's a Soviet movie from the 20s. It's going to have a little bit of propaganda. Like, I don't care. Yeah, it's it's not like watching a, you know, Nazi propaganda or, you know, something like that where you're just going to be so horrified that you can't even sort of take in maybe what you're watching. Uh, That was another thing that, Ebert talks about in his essay is that aside from the literal physical where you are when you watch this movie having an impact sort of where you are in the you know world and time period is going to have a big impact as well talking about it being banned for so long during the cold war obviously um, in the west and the difference you might feel just watching it if everything's pretty chill and you're like huh interesting times versus in a more revolutionary time period where it's going to elicit a different reaction. Never people. heard of it. It kind of is now. <laughs> Revolutionary time period? <laughs> yeah, would, I don't know. What could that refer to? What would that feel like? Um, so it is interesting watching it now and watching these scenes of uprisings and people fighting back and turning on, you know, being chased down with violence and authority figures. and you know. Yeah, that that was... Yeah, that's, that was a bit prescient. Yeah, we'll get to yeah. it. Um, but that scene hit pretty... <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, this movie's almost 100 years old and from the other side of the world, but yep. Yeah. All right, well, let's jump in because there's, you know, it's it tells a fairly straightforward story uh, starting off on this ship, the battleship Potemkin, and we meet, to the extent that there sort of are main characters in this movie, uh, we meet a couple of soldiers or sailors, I should say, who are, you know, they're sailors on this battleship. But they talk about the revolution that's going on in Russia. Um, and there's one in particular whose name I'm not going to pronounce correctly. Vakulinchuk, maybe? I kept, I kept writing him as V in my notes. V's good, yeah. Um, who decides he wants to rile up his comrades and get them to fight for the cause. Um, and these soldiers, they are, they are in a prime position to have had enough. Uh, most notably, we see them being fed rotten meat. Mm-hmm. Um, real gross, some real close-up shots of just like worms crawling in and out of the meat. And they're being told it's fine, brush it off, no big deal. The ship's doctor says, oh, it's fine. You can, you know, that's, it's just fine. You can eat it. It's, those are, I can't remember what he says they are. It's like flies or something. And you can just see them. He says, uh, those are dead fly eggs. Yes. Which, mm, my, meanwhile, we're watching little <laughs> worms just crawl in and out of the meat. It is so disgusting. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that touch of he's supposed to be the authority figure, and he's got the, gla- the, like, the fold-up spectacles, and he folds them up and he puts them on, and those yep. are dead fly eggs when they're clearly right. not. It's just a nice like gaslighting-type touch. Exactly. I like that, too, with the little foldable glasses that he puts mm-hmm. on to just look extra close and then just lie straight to their faces about yeah. what they can see. Um, 
total, like, perfect example of gaslighting. Um, and so the poor soldiers obviously don't want to eat the meat and decide, you know, we'll just have bread and water because we don't want to poison ourselves with terrible meat. Um, and this really gets the idea into their heads that, you know, maybe they should stand up and, and not be treated this way. Um, yeah, I think this first sequence is does a good job of just very quickly establishing, okay, so here's what's happening in Russia. These guys are miserable. Uh, it makes sense that maybe yeah, they're that's not going to. Yeah, part gonna... one of the movie, literally. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. exactly. That's it. They're like, we tried to feed you rotten meat. Okay, we're against that. Not going to do it. Um, and then it goes directly to part two of the movie, which basically is the sailors being punished for refusing to eat rotten meat. Literally, they are considered insubordinate because they just ate something else instead of disgusting, worm-filled meat. And so there's a you know whole story here about you know having to eat what's fed to you and not accepting it and pushing back. And this is when the officers, the guys in charge, offer order the insubordinate sailors killed basically say the guys who were insubordinate are gonna have to be shot by firing squad and it's this really sort of evocative sequence where the guys all they like throw a tarp over them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and are gonna order the firing squad to just shoot blindly into this you know tarp covered mass of prisoner well prisoners guys the sailors who are in trouble and then it all breaks down because the guys decide not to go along with it. Actually, they don't want to be a part of this. And I love the way the visual language tells this because this whole lead up, the people that are the firing squad Mm. are shot from below. Yeah. In a very authoritative manner. Mm -hmm. Their faces are completely blacked out. Right. Until Valchuk or whatever his name Mm. is. Is that the guy you thought looked like Channing Tatum? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, yeah. You yeah. like Shannon Tatum with like a big old mustache. Yeah. Well, he had like, it's like zoomed in on his eyes. Uh, yeah, I did text you guys during the movie and I was like, this guy looks like Channing Tatum, right? <laughs> um, and then we had a whole riff about how maybe this is the uh, like grandfather of Channing Tatum's character in Hail Caesar. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert <laughs> for people who haven't seen Hail Caesar, but Channing Tatum plays like a Soviet uh, agent in that movie. Um, but yeah, no, he's very charismatic. That's what makes mm-hmm. this guy a good revolutionary leader because, you know, people listen when he talks. Yeah. But anyway, so Comrade Channing Tatum shouts like, brothers! And then it the instead of filming from below, it films from above. Mm-hmm. And you just see that they're just normal other uh, seamen on the mm-hmm. ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now they have, their faces are lit. Mm-hmm. And like, most of them just look like little kids. Yeah. Like, just, and it's just like, oh, I thought that that was one of the big moments in the movie. I was like, oh, look, this is visual language that, mm-hmm. you know, modern movies are now saying that they're probably the first ones to really do. <laughs> I also, just before that scene, uh, maybe my favorite shot in the movie is when the captain tells the men, if you were like, if, if you liked the Borscht, step forward. Mm-hmm. and all the officers step forward and everyone who doesn't everyone who didn't like the borscht he says are gonna hang from the boat and oh, then yeah. and then it shows like the rafters of the boat and then it tra- it does like a transition um to yeah. the bodies hanging mm-hmm. without a cut and it, the way uh not just in this but in um 
in Strike 2, uh, the way Eisenstein used dissolves is, mm-hmm. uh, like, incredible. I, it's, like, maybe more memorable to me than the Odessa Steps. Maybe. I'm not trying to be contrarian because the Odessa Steps do rule. Pretty famous, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be. Or, or it's, like, it's as good as the Odessa Steps for me. Like, it's such mm-hmm. a cool shot and something, you know, this mm-hmm. movie is 95 years old, I think. That there, yeah. that he was doing things um, with like a visual flourish in that way uh, that long ago, I think is really really cool. I read um, Film Form, which is one of his like collection of essays, because he was also like a big film theorist, and mm-hmm. he, I didn't understand like half of it. Like, granted, sure. I didn't go to film school. Maybe, maybe if I read it more slowly over the course of an entire semester, and I had somebody explaining it to me three times a week, I, I would have gotten a little bit more out of it, but. This guy was like very, very, uh, very smart, and he knew a lot about what he was doing. So uh, it's not surprising, but yeah, I, I just I, I couldn't go past that shot without mentioning it because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. that shot really stood out to me as well. I mean, one, I'm very easily freaked out by the images of bodies hanging, yes, so it had like again, a double again. effect where I was like, man. <laughs> So many, like such a weird percentage of the movies we've talked about. At least a third. I was going to say, is, had. It, is this three or four now? It's, of... a, it's at least three. It might be four. It's eight and a half. I think it's three. It's this. Nagira. I'm already blanking. Was... Oh, Nagira. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yep. Those those images will stick with me regardless. And I agree. The way it was used with the dissolve, where you just literally see them sort of come into yeah. the image, was really cool. I thought that was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, very quick side note, because I clicked on Sergei Eisenstein's Wikipedia page to uh, look at some of his film theorist stuff. Um, one, please look at his picture on his Wikipedia page. Wow. Um, it's Does he have great hair, <laughs> if I remember right? Portrait. He, has, he has fantastic hair. Um, also, mm-hmm. he was 27 when he made this movie. He was born in 1898, and this movie's from 1925. Like, oh, no. What is no. it with everyone making masterpieces at age 27 between like him and Wells? Right. Exactly. Um, I, I, yeah, I just, I'm mesmerized. I'm, like, staring at this picture of him, and I just got totally oh, sidetracked. Oh, incredible. Please, the lighting in this picture. Look, yeah. <laughs> Mine's looks, still loading. It looks, well, get excited. It looks like he's on set like in a monster movie like it looks like he is dr frankenstein or something it's uh it's a lot he's actually, oh lord he's actually got kind of like the bride of frankenstein hair situation i was right? just about to say that yeah, uh, yeah. um intense guy hmm. so yeah um but i totally agree that shot was really good um the whole sequence on the ship from when the sailors turn the tables on the people in charge and start, then they start throwing them overboard. They also uh, turn on the priest who is on the ship, mm-hmm. who is another really, speaking of Creepy. intense, cool looking guys. Yeah. yeah. Some of those shots. Quite like, the hairdo too. Oh my gosh. That's, that was a lot of luck on that priest. Um, and then he is, you know, just another symbol of authority, right? So it's, it's the priest, it's the officers, the doctor, everybody who is a symbol of authority basically is overthrown pays the price and they you know throw everyone overboard throw the doctor overboard um and have mutinied but alas our poor charismatic leader dies in the in the violence Mm -hmm. like so many great revolutionary leaders um does not live to see the results of the revolution he inspired 
um and he's he's really like the closest we get to an actual character but oh yeah even he and i think i think it's an ebert's review um i read a few other reviews but i think it's an ebert's review he says like even v is not really a character he's more a metaphor for right he's a symbol yeah Yeah, he's a symbol the captain's a symbol the priest is a symbol so there's not character you know personality developments or motivations or or things like that in the traditional sense but that's all kind of by design so i i do have a quote from this book um where eisenstein's talking about the soviet filmmakers who are like shooting in that um, mm-hmm. style of that time. He says, discarding the individualist conception of the bourgeois hero, our films of this period made an abrupt deviation, insisting on an understanding of the mass as hero. And that's kind of how like this movie seems to be um, shot. That, like that's the angle that this movie is shot from that there aren't mm-hmm. characters, the, the entire like group of, sailors or the group of people in odessa Mm -hmm. are the character like as a unit which is really in keeping with kind of this communist ideology yeah that's right (laughs) it would not be in line with uh communist ideology to celebrate the grand triumph of the individual right Mm -hmm. you know the individual gets the action going but then every sort of hero shot that we get hero and villains really but every single hero shot we get is of the crowds of the mass of people the mass of people in Odessa then going you know later on at the end going out in the boats and everything mm-hmm. it's entirely about collective action and like you said I, I don't think that's a weakness that's the you know successfully presenting the idea he's trying to get across yeah yeah but it it just it doesn't feel much like a, a movie right to me. no I mean, yeah. I'm not gonna like say like the film's bad for that but it kept me at a bit of a distance, I guess. Yeah, I don't think, I, I don't, I did not engage with this movie the way that I would, you know, the other movies yeah, we talked about. I didn't really you're sort have... of more modern, more traditional. Yeah, you're not relating to characters. You admire it, or at least I, I shouldn't say you. Mm-hmm. I definitely admired it more than I, you know. Yeah. In, engaged it with it or enjoyed it. it. I'm moved. glad I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really the first. There, there are a number of other movies like that that I'm sure we'll get to. But this is the first of the what ten? Well, I guess if we count mm-hmm. the Apu trilogy, this is the twelfth right. movie that we've um, reviewed from this book. And mm-hmm. and this movie is unique compared to those in that it doesn't really let you in in that way. But it's by mm-hmm. design, so it is. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to look at in that way, where it's such a good kind of melding of the ideology of the movie mixed together with the ideology of like the filmmaker itself mm-hmm. um right. but it doesn't necessarily like i'm i'm not feeling verklempt at this movie the way i was at like <laughs> the end of a world of a poo or right yeah <laughs> yeah a little different <laughs> yeah um and speaking of uh our arm instigator Val, Val, let's call him V um, <laughs> V's role as a symbol more than a character he then in the third segment of the film literally just becomes a symbol mm-hmm. like you know they bring his body out to lay him out as sort of a martyr for the movement and they put this little sign on him um, that says for a spoonful of borscht um, you know very very sad he died mm-hmm. for this um, and basically now in life and more so in death, he acts as a symbol to get the people uh, turn, you know, turning on 
the authority figures. If you guys had to die for a soup, would it be borscht or would you go with a different soup? I would probably, oh, I would boy. go with ramen, I think. Like a, like a fancy um, ramen, not just. Like a fancy uh, ramen. Yeah. yeah. And it's like a really good chowder, maybe like a really good seafood chowder or something like that. Yeah, you live in uh, LA. I, mm-hmm. I, I, have to, I have to travel thousands of miles to get a good seafood chowder. Yeah, I was gonna say, I got some pretty good ramen here too. Um, I think I might go with like a minestrone. Mm-hmm. Like a hearty soup. Yeah, I like vegetables and spaghetti in my soup. There you go. So. Yeah, I'm not a big soup person in general. I'm not even sure if I've ever had borscht. What? I, think I must have when I was a kid. Eh, I don't know. Soup's the best. Soup's the best. It's, a, uh, it's okay. Thank you. Even ramen, which is delicious. Sometimes I'm like, it's, there's a lot, it's a lot going on to eat it. I don't know. I like things to be easier to eat than that. <laughs> All right, so um, where do we go from here? I don't know. That was the one of the Part dumber uh, one of the dumber sidebars we'll <laughs> know, ever have. Exactly. On now, the now I have to go back. Now let's let's go from soup to. Oh, uh, I did want to soup. say something real quick about the yes. end of part two, though. When they're finishing the revolution, mm-hmm. I love when they take the doctor mm-hmm. and they throw him overboard, and for somehow his glasses get hooked onto the rope that he mm-hmm. flies through. I love all the close-ups of those glasses. It's just like this glass is like swinging back and forth. I kind of laughed out loud a little bit at that. That was like, I, I, I'm still trying to mentally work out in my head how that physically worked. Yeah, but I think it just looked cool. It did look cool, yeah. and it kind of works because they had you know zoomed in on the glasses so much before. When I know lying about the meat that now his glasses are you know very symbolic. Um, yeah, there's not much else to say about the third part um yeah the third part nothing really happens. nothing really happens um everyone gathers to, to, with our our dead friend um well, and the, the third part it's really just um the revolution on the boat starts to spread out right exactly the, the yeah, now the, that it's come land. ashore the people find out what have happened and it starts getting the the police or the soldiers are you know concerned and the people want to fight back um, which is what brings us to the Odessa steps. Oh, there, there's actually one part in the third one. So everyone's chanting like all for one, one for all and mm-hmm. death to the oppressors and stuff like that. Yeah. And yeah, you know, usual stuff. I'd forgotten about this. There's one guy who shan- who shouts kill the Jews and then everyone just turns on him and they beat him. I don't know if to death, but they yeah. a, a crowd of beat people down. severely beat him. And I gotta say, I love that moment. Yeah, I do. A plus. Yeah, and I I do like that example of someone. It's like, hey, that's not what we're chanting about right now. Yeah, like don't do this. And it took me like a second. I don't remember how long it is before people turn on him, but I did like all the math real quick in my head. Like as soon as he mm-hmm. said that, I'm like, one. Oh my god, how do I not remember this? Like, right. What is this movie oh, no, doing? It's like a horrible anti-Semitic movie. Yeah. I, I feel like people would talk about that more, and I feel like that would have stuck mm-hmm. out in my mind. Two, isn't, right. isn't Isis not Jewish? And then everyone turns and starts beating this guy. I was like, oh, right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there's like one minute there where you're like, is this like birth of a nation? What's happening? Mm-hmm. And then, thankfully, no. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that, too. Um, so then everyone does get worked up, and then that's what brings us to the Odessa Steps. Um, very, very famous. Uh, a lot of great images in this sequence um just in general that's what really stuck out to me mm-hmm. i mean it's it's so famous ebert talks about in his book that most people have seen the references and the parodies before ever seeing the real thing it was definitely true for me i've seen so many 
riffs on this, um, you know, very like straightforwardly, like in the Untouchables, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, and then they're like the Naked Gun movies that are really parodying the Untouchables, <laughs> but it's still a very, I watched that sequence uh, after watching this just because it makes me laugh so much, even though <laughs> prominently features O.J. Simpson. So uh, that's, that's always an issue going back to those movies. Um, but yeah, yeah. It, but it's, I love getting to go back and watch something that is that, you know, quote unquote, important, quote unquote, influential and be like, you know, this is impressive. Like, mm-hmm. it's not just it's not just impressive because it's almost 100 years old and it's been you know referenced so many times. Like, yeah. it looks amazing. It's still what he impressive. does here. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Did many Simpsons ever rip this off. The Simpsons? Did... Yeah, probably. I feel like this is something Simpsons would do. But if anyone knows, it's you, Nick. Yeah, I'm trying. It's it's it has I'm a sure. ring of truth, but I can't think of anything in particular. I'll find out. I'm sure they have because Simpsons. <laughs> Simpsons. Are I like. Stats. I'd have to just assume they did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. At this point, I mean, they even got the little. What's the baby's name in the Simpsons? Maggie. Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, Janet. <laughs> did you just ask what the baby's name is in the Simpsons? Yes, you did. Ask what the baby's name. I okay. I know Homer. I know Marge. I know Bart. And Lisa? Yeah. There you go. So Maggie's and the, then the baby. Maggie. We've, yeah. We've, Maggie's the best. We failed Gen Z. Uh. I know. <laughs> it's, I think it's because The Simpsons wasn't that widely available. Like, that was an actual issue for a long time. It's, it's like stuff that's not, if it's not on Netflix. Yeah. But they're the all youth, available. They're not watching. On, now on Disney Plus. They're all on they are Disney, Disney Plus. Plus now. Now. Although, like, a lot of them are in the wrong uh, aspect ratio. Apparently, they just changed it now where you can, there's like a setting on Disney Plus when Ooh. you go to the main Simpsons screen, you can select it to watch in the traditional Mix, the like regular the Simpsons rewatch. Okay, because I, I started rewatching them and I was like, it's, I, I, it bothered me too much. The aspect ratio thing is crazy like this was an issue on i don't know if you ever saw when they did try to do that yes thank you the hd remasters of buffy in order to make it widescreen they just took like the widescreen film from when they Mm. shot it but you can see like people holding boom mics and stuff because they were filming it for four by three you can literally see crew members i remember "Ah." in the body you could see a boom mic and i'm like really like this (laughs) this of all episodes you have to have a boom mic in the middle of the shot offensive um yeah i've never watched any of, of those i just yeah stick with uh, my old school standard def anyways uh treehouse of Sorry. horror number 11 apparently has a uh, battleship potemkin sequence i, d- I don't recall oh. it but man but, i'm trying treehouse of horror oh, 11 11 yeah, so season 12 I probably yeah um, i was still watching then it was a little bit i would have been in high school I think, yeah it's so. like a couple years past like the peak it is, but it's I, yeah, it's in that spot where it's like, well, it's not that good anymore, but we're still watching. And right, then, right. And it's well, we was are. there like a treehouse oh, horror episode every? Yeah, they yeah. do a Halloween season? episode, was... and they do little short, like little short film kind of things that are horror gotcha. stories that are not in the. Gotcha. You've probably seen the Bart like Raven one. Have you ever seen that? Where I think so. Edgar Allan Poe. I the think Raven I might have been Bart. shown that in a like an English class, probably in high school. But I don't remember it. Yeah, they're good. It's kind of like how um, Bob's Burgers does a Thanksgiving episode every year. Oh, the Bob's Burgers Thanksgiving episodes are perfect. <laughs> but also mixed. They're the best thing. But also mixed with how Bob's Burgers will do um, things where like each of the kid tells a story. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like divided into mm-hmm. three parts. The Treehouse of Horror. It's like a frame story. Um, oftentimes, where it's like somebody, w- one of the characters telling a horror story or something like that. Mm, yeah. Gotcha. 
yeah there's there's some really good ones i i don't rewatch the simpsons that often um but i do try to watch old treehouse of horrors every year in october it's a fun it's a fun thing to go back the shining Uh, one oh that's one of my favorite ones oh it's the shining one is so good that's i saw that I probably had seen that 10 times before, before I ever saw The Shining. Movie. Speaking of, yeah, 100%. <laughs> I saw The Shining a couple of years ago, and I had seen that a million times growing up. Um, so obviously, as all discussions of Battleship Potemkin eventually <laughs> devolve into talking about Treehouse of Horror, um, yeah, what else, you know, on the Odessa Steps stuck out to you guys? Obviously, the baby carriage mm-hmm. uh, is like the most famous thing. There was that other really good shot. Well, it sounds weird to say that really good shot of the guy being shot in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does the really effective cuts and edits where you'll see someone and then he'll cut back to them. And now they are dead and they've been shot. And, um, you know, just a lot of just close ups on anguished faces that there may not be sort of characters in the movie. But that really worked for me in terms of you can actually connect and feel like, oh, these are people that are suffering this horrible tragedy just because, man, those faces People just look different a hundred years ago than they yeah. do now. <laughs> I love the the way the Odessa step sequence starts too, with just the um, card saying "suddenly," and then mm-hmm. you see everyone who is just kind of chilling on these stairs, sprinting mm-hmm. down them in terror, and then you see the the soldiers with like their bayonets mm-hmm. out, which mm-hmm. <sighs> bayonets are so like they seem so terrifying to me. And They're so sharp and pointy. Did they end up using? I mean, I I, I don't think anyone actually was had a, a bayonet used on them mm-hmm. uh, during recent protests within the last couple of weeks. But there was a r- reports that, um, like National Guard members were going to be had armed with bayonets. Ugh. I don't I don't know if that actually Ooh. came to pass. But when yeah. I heard that, I mean, I believe it. Yeah, when I heard that, I was just like, <laughs> what, what do you mean bayonet? Like. I know what it's it's 2020 what are what are we doing with bayonets Uh, but that scene really did feel pretty modern yeah Yeah. and it it was another example of what we were talking about with the um or like Dylan what you were mentioning in the opening sequence with the firing squad how they're sort of these faceless figures at least Mm -hmm. until they decide not to fire you know we're looking at bayonets and boots basically when it's the soldiers coming down the steps that they're just this sort of mass of the oppressor um just wiping out everybody and i love the shot when um the mom picks up her son yeah it's not a baby but right like a kid three yeah. or four year old and she she kind of goes walking up and just shit talking them mm-hmm. almost it looks like she's angry yeah for good reason yeah and um she finally gets to the step where they are and there's they're, they're just these really long shadows of the the men mm-hmm. like facing up against her right it's intimidating it's really intimidating yeah. filmmaking mm-hmm. yeah the the way she's like walking down the stairs and he stops and she keeps going to just visu- mm-hmm. like visually is really s- striking and horrifying mm-hmm. yeah but yeah I th- yeah there's a yeah oh i was just gonna say i think that little like vignette within this scene is um the thing that I remember as much as the like the baby carriage is obviously it's been mm-hmm. referenced so famously that it's probably the the one that stands out the most. But mm-hmm. like the kid getting like the kid gets shot and then you see the mom turn and you see him getting trampled. Mm-hmm. And that on top of getting shot just feels so ugh, just ugh, violent. Like 
people getting trampled. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that that to me was the most uh, sort of yeah viscerally ugh, thing was the just the people getting fully yeah trampled, just stepped on, shot, and then stepped on on the ground and. Ugh. Yeah, it was it was more upsetting than I was expecting. I was expecting just more of a, again like a cold exercise, um, and it is very technical. Mm-hmm. But that sequence in particular just really does, especially yeah with with the kids and just people being shot in the face and ugh. Yeah, tough, tough, tough to watch all the time. Definitely tough to watch right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that <laughs> has that going for it as well. Um, so the, yeah, the soldiers, they kill pretty much everybody. We see all kinds of horrible things happen. Um, and then the sailors decide that they are going to fight back. Um, and this is when they decide to fire. What are they firing on? It's like a big, it's like a gathering of the political leaders, I think. It said um, the general's headquarters. Okay. And then yeah, the like Odessa Theater. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the theater or the opera house um and you know decided to step this revolution up a notch (laughs) and then start fighting back um and then at the basically that's the end of that sequence and then um you know it just goes to the very final sequence um where the ship now has to make a break for it um essentially or you know try to get back out to sea and they're going to have to go past all these warships. Um, and then similar to what happens at, um, at the beginning of the film where the other soldiers don't fire, the ships let them pass. Mm-hmm. And Brothers. They are allowed. Yeah, exactly. Comrades. Um, and they are allowed to pass and they are not obliterated and they sort of emerge victorious. Yeah, the, in the end. That last sequence is so interesting because mm-hmm. they he ramps up the tension so much. Like it goes from the Odessa steps where there's all this violence and then the mm-hmm. soldiers fire back, like ramping up even more violence, and then mm-hmm. the ship turns to leave and you you're preparing for like a ship on ship battle with right. all these sailors mm-hmm. like shooting cannons at each other mm-hmm. and he cuts to um, to slow it down, so it's a lot of like silhouetted shots in the night mm-hmm. and soldiers yeah. like some preparing, others sleeping, and it ramps up the tension so much. But then nothing really comes of it. Mm-hmm. It all yeah, just becomes like actually we can all get along. Right. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to turn our guns on each other. Yeah, I noticed that too. I think it's an interesting choice and. I think it's effective to, yeah, build up the tension and sort of prepare you for here comes the big battle and then just to not have it. Right. And especially for what he's going for. You don't want to have mm-hmm. the soldiers firing on all other soldiers. You want the soldiers right. to all be like uh, mm-hmm. of a similar mindset to, to get mm-hmm. his message across. So it makes sense. Um, I don't right. know that it's necessarily like, would it have been better if we did see a big duel? Mm-hmm. maybe I do love a big ship on ship fight yeah I do like yeah. that in movies those scenes since firing the cannons back and forth master and commander go watch master pretty much master yeah, and commander there you yeah. go that's that's, oh, what that's, I, a, that's a great ship movie that movie I rules I haven't seen it since it was in theaters but man what a good movie 
Yeah, I've caught it on cable a few times, like in the not distant past. It's so good. I I love that movie. Um, I did. I was thinking about how interesting it was in the opening sequence. It made me realize how many movies I've seen on ships that take place like roughly in this general time period mm-hmm. because like the layout of the ship I'm like oh sure this is where they all lay in their hammocks and this is where they all have their meals and <laughs> that's the captain's private quarters that he's coming up from and I was like I am I feel like I'm very familiar <laughs> with ship layouts <laughs> from just having watched tons of movies about old naval wars and things like that um, the only other thing I wrote down that I forgot to mention was before uh, during like the when they come into Odessa, um, the local people of Odessa oh, yeah. get in their boats to go out to them. Um, you know, very, very Dunkirk of them, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, that's. Th- like, I thought the exact same thing. Like, <laughs> I felt bad thinking it. I'm like, hey, this was like this was 20 years before Dunkirk even happened in real life. Right. But that's all I can think about now when I see all the citizens, um, you know, getting on their own ships and going out to help the soldiers. I'm like, oh, Dunkirk. I, th- I thought the same thing, but I didn't want to be like. Well, Dunkirk is clearly, you know, this movie based right. on this true, <laughs> this true event is clearly just based on this silent propaganda movie. It does, right? Exactly. It's like, wow, it does make me wonder. I mean, I guess that is a thing that maybe happens. Who knows if that actually happened? It, a lot of this stuff did not actually happen. Right. Uh, yeah. This is quote unquote commemorating. But hey, I don't know. It yeah. has happened before. The Odessa, all these people got on their boats. The Odessa steps, not a thing that happened. Right. Yeah. Which that blew my mind when I read it in the book. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, I know. I assumed I assumed so too. I, you know, I took it probably more at face value than I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So the interesting th- thing though for me the in the end was, and I'm not even sure now if my memory is correct because I've seen like silent films have like different scores because Mm -hmm. that wasn't a super important part of silent movies. Yeah. Um, But I could have sworn I would like, I would have bet like half my bank account that the ending song when the whole tension starts getting ramped up Mm -hmm. um, and then like broken with like, yay Mm -hmm. is like, well, I, I could have sworn it was the Stravinsky Firebird Suite. Mm-hmm. If you, either of you guys know that song? Not nope. off the top of my head. No. no. Oh. And instead, when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, it's Shostakovich's fifth? Yeah. Yeah. Do I, do you guys know I, Shostakovich? I know what fifth well, means. No. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Sorry, read Nick. some about the music um, because of mm-hmm. that, because it's good. Um, yeah, that was the only thing. That's why I went to the Wikipedia page. I was like, I could have sworn it was Stravinsky. But it looks okay. like there is, that there have been many different versions uh-huh. with different soundtracks over the years. So I just couldn't find one that said You couldn't find Stravinsky. an example. Yeah, yeah. I'm, that I'm was frustrating. I'm looking on the Wikipedia page now um, at the list of films that have referenced um, the Odessa Steps. And it has Brazil. The Godfather, The Untouchables, Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. Sure. I have seen Revenge of the Sith like a couple of times, probably more times than I've needed to. Um, I can't even imagine. I guess, I guess maybe just the the Order sixty six, like when yeah. everyone and turns on all the, the Jedi. To, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be that. I'm trying to think of what Brazil referenced. What is the Godfather? Uh, just the montage at the end um, with the. That's my I'd have to guess. assume so that he gets killed on this. It's a very steps. loose. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a very I mean, loose reference. What do they have in common? That it's steps. 
Yeah. And there's a baby. Right. And it, well, it's so funny because they have on here, yeah, it it references Naked Gun 33 and a third, but it does say that really it's parodying <laughs> the Untouchables. It's not really referencing the Odessa stuff. It's a parody of a par- It's like someone doing a cover of a Weird Al song. R- exactly. Um, and apparently two Woody Allen movies, Bananas and Love and Death, which are two that I have not seen. I've seen so. Bananas, but I don't remember that either. Or no, Dessa Steps. Yeah, I've seen Bananas. <laughs> bananas, I think, was actually my first Woody Allen movie. Yeah, I have not seen Or maybe that it was one, Sleeper, so. but I don't remember anything about that. Yeah. When did Brazil do it? Does not say. I have not My seen My dad Brazil. has the movie on all the time. I have not seen Brazil. You should see Brazil. Brazil's should see really, Brazil. Brazil's really good. Yeah. I, I really, really like Yeah, but like Time Bandits movie. is a lot better. It's, Go see Time Bandits. It's not better. I know. I haven't seen Time Bandits either. Um, have I seen any Terry You Gale like movies? happy endings, right, Jenna? <laughs> Go yeah. watch Time Bandits. <laughs> Go watch oh Brazil. God. Have I seen... Right? Yeah. I know. Speaking of movies that are referenced all the time, though, like Brazil is another movie that I think I've seen it referenced 8 million times mm-hmm. um, and have never seen it personally. I'm trying to see if I've ever seen... Oh, he made 12 Monkeys. I've seen 12 Monkeys. Oh, God. You want happy endings? How about a man seeing himself dead? <laughs> yeah, well... And, okay. Hey, that's a remake of... Movie. My, Le favorite, Jete. my favorite Yeah. Which I've also... Your favorite movie. I've also seen. I saw La Jete after I saw 12 Monkeys. And then I've also seen Brothers Grimm. Maybe the weirdest entry in the Terry Gillum mm-hmm. filmography. That's what, oh, I thought you were saying that was another Odessa step. <laughs> no, I sorry, I went down a Terry Gillum rabbit hole. Like, really? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that would be amazing. That's one I haven't uh, seen, but I, I, it didn't look don't very yeah. Good. I watched like I ten mean, minutes of it at a party <laughs> once, and I was like, this is this is bad. Um, the answer for why have I seen the Brothers Grimm is because I was twenty years old, and it starred Matt Damon and Heath Ledger, and I went to see it in the theater. That's fair. It was bad. Um, all right, any other Did you ever see the Imaginarium of Dr. No, Parnassus? No, 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 I have not. You get fit four very good-looking men in that yeah, movie for that's, the price that's of the, one. Yeah, that's the one where they had to add a bunch of actors to finish out the movie because Heath Ledger died? Yep. Cool. Yep. Um, all right, well, <laughs> other Potemkin thoughts? No, it's a cool Anything. movie. Good movie. Um, the, we talked a little bit about the Ebert essay, which is mostly him recounting what a good time he had watching yeah. it in a park one time. Um, brief kale <laughs> corner. He does apparently her favorable review described it as a brilliant mm-hmm. but simplistic cartoon. Even when she gives good reviews, she loves to throw in just insulting language in her. I think I'm right on Pauline Kale's <laughs> trip yeah. with this review. She, here. Cartoon is like meh, like I may well. Uh, that that quote, the full quote is um, great as it undoubtedly is. It's not really a likable film. It's amazing though. It keeps its freshness and its excitement even if you resist its cartoon message. Okay. All right. That's in context. That's, I think that is fair. Yeah. Um, it's hard to disagree with what she says. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. not quite the extreme, but the example that I often use is, um, have you guys ever read Walden by Thoreau? No. Uh, it's about him, uh, living in a cabin for a while. And it's just about like, Hey, I'm living in a cabin. Here's what I'm seeing. Yep. <laughs> Yep. It is a book that I am glad I read, but I did not like reading it. Mm-hmm. This isn't quite to that extent, because I did have fun watching it, too. But it's more, um, I think it's more intellectually invigorating than... than Yeah, something like that. We've talked about this before in that 
I have a much, much, much higher tolerance for things like that when it comes to movies as opposed to books. Right. In terms of something that I may not enjoy, but I'm glad to have seen it and I'll sit down and watch it. You know, because it's what two or three hours of your life, and then you're like, okay, interesting. Yeah, it's if I'm not reading two a book, weeks or three and weeks I, right? <laughs> if I'm yeah, if I'm reading a book and I'm not enjoying it, I'm just like, no, <laughs> life's too short. <laughs> I can't physically keep myself continuing to read it. A movie, I can sit there and finish watching it. A book, I'm just like, no, I'm not in school anymore. How, no, no one can make me. How do that. many movies have you turned off out of curiosity? Honestly, very few. I can't think of the last time that I like sat down to I mean you know if I just like come across something on TV watch a few minutes I'm like eh not interested and change the channel but I can't think of the last time I sat down put something on and then said no thank you and turned it off pretty much never especially when you're watching movies at home too because like I'll just check my phone (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll sit it out and just I almost never do that but I will often go I'll finish this later and then it's been five years and I've still never seen what happens in my left foot Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I think once you see the gist of Daniel Day's performance in that, you're just like, oh, nice. Yeah, you've, like you've I saw seen him, the redeeming quality. Yeah. yeah, I saw him like crawl down the steps. Then I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'll I'll find what happens sooner or later. Like maybe before I die, I'll get to the rest of this. <laughs> maybe and then keep it on your to-do list. Yeah. I don't. I'm, I wish now that Ebert had my left foot in his great movies review just to. It had to. Make Nick watch. It kind of seems like the kind of if you told me that that was in like the fourth book, I would not be. But it w- totally I don't like, yeah. Shocked. But that wasn't even it's something possible. where like, oh, I'm not gonna watch this. Oh, I hate it. I was just like, right. eh, like I'm going to bed. I'll do it later. Oh, you know what? It, you know what movie I did that to? Um, and then obviously did end up finishing it. Was Eight and a Half. That was my hmm. aborted first attempt oh, yeah. to watch Eight and a Half like years oh, yeah, ago. Watched a little bit more than half of it and was like. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm falling asleep. I'll finish this some other time. And then and, did not finish it you, until we had to watch it did. for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. But I probably. You gave it a three out of four. I probably would not have come back to it, honestly. Like if I did not end up, you know, like I was saying with books, I don't, I'm not in school. No one can make me finish a book I don't want to finish. Mm. I ended up having a homework assignment to watch eight and a half. And so <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I probably wouldn't have finished it. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I walked out of Dean recently. Oh yeah, you did. You're that was you were mad about that. That one. was it. Yep, I don't do that a lot, but that movie was. It's also it's also been a long time since I like since someone else put something on that I did not have yeah. a say in watching. You know, like that's the other. Yeah, thing. like my parents put Dean on. And I was like, yeah, I'll stay down, hang right. out with my parents, and my parents weren't worth that movie that night. Yeah. So. Sometimes, like, when I'm visiting my parents, my dad will want to watch something, and he'll put it on, and yeah. then I'll just be like, okay, well, that's that's enough from me. But it's usually, you know, it's a, a Western or a Kung Fu movie or whatever. My dad has sure. very stereotypical dad tastes. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's usually one of those two genres. Um, I couldn't. So, yeah, there wasn't. I couldn't remember I what Dean was. So, oh, so the, I'm, the oh, it's the movie. I, I'm looking it up, and... Uh, seen the word quirky pop up yeah what's the what's the actor's name i forget is, that, name, is it dimitri martin it, yeah dimitri martin yeah. yeah yeah terrible who's the girl in it uh gillian jacobs oh yeah <laughs> who i like but that that tells you everything you need to know about the time and place this movie yep. was made to yeah <laughs> it's I, a real and and the kind of guy she did yeah i feel like she's a really good actress but she doesn't um like ever pick good roles for herself yeah because 
her, what was her, her last agent. thing? Her last thing was that Netflix show, right? Love, I think. Yeah, which I watched. My parents called? loved that show. Yeah. I watched season one of. Which I think is also about her maybe dating someone who she could do better than. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched or it. Just like, or just like really obnoxious nerd dude that yeah. doesn't seem to care about anything. Yeah, I like. I actually like that comedian from that show, but I have no interest in Same. watching yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. because so no. yeah, no, he, he was on a uh, comedy. I, I assume he still is on Comedy Bang Bang all the time. Mm-hmm. And he would do uh, yeah. the new No No's bit, which is one of my favorite uh, bits. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Um, all right, so final thing. Anyway, Ebert quotes. Yeah, Ebert. I mean, he didn't say much, um, particularly. I mean, I think the only sort of quote. I only circled one quote. Yeah, is it at the end? Is it like no? Oh, okay. What did what did you uh, what did you highlight? I said, um, actually, it's right after the poly quote that they maybe because of the elements being warmed up, worn out. It may this may be because it has worn out its element of surprise, like the twenty third Psalm or Beethoven's fifth. It has become so familiar we cannot perceive it for what it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fair. And what what I think is interesting is the next day I watched a movie where the 23rd Psalm was taken. Oh, really? In the script by uh, Delroy Lindo. Oh, mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which we will be discussing soon Shortly. in the next podcast. Yeah, I always forget. Oh, that is what the 23rd Psalm is. Okay. I yeah, up. I had to look up what the twenty third Psalm is as well when I read that quote, but I was like, hey. Yeah, there you go. I recently heard that. Yeah. What about you, Nick? Did you have a uh, Ebert review quote? Yeah, mine is, um, he says, Eisenstein felt that montage should proceed r- from rhythm, not story. And I think that um, kind of exemplifies some of the, not complaints that we're having, but mm-hmm. how this is different. And I also feel like this movie would be something that we could more easily um, review if we actually had it like if if you were to do like yeah. an audio commentary or mm-hmm. ebert used to do this thing um called ebert interruptus where it, it would be over the span of a few days and you'd like get a get a theater full of people and they would play the movie and whenever anyone wanted they could shout stop and the movie would pause and you'd like talk about uh that shot oh wow this movie would be so much easier <laughs> to to look at yeah. doing something like that than trying to review mm. like because because there's no character Right. motivation to talk about <laughs> and that's usually so much of what we're discussing so it, mm-hmm. it's kind of challenging um yeah but it's also like that was his purpose so whether or not it's you know the the funnest way he definitely accomplished what he set out to accomplish so i think for that it's uh, laudable yeah mm-hmm. well the next the next sentence after the one you just read is where he goes on to say uh uh where is it oh yeah, shots should be cut to lead up to a point and should not linger because of personal interest in individual characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay, God forbid you have a personal interest in an individual character. Um, but like you're saying, <laughs> that was his point. It's, you know, we're not, we're not wasting time on, on characters here. We are proving our point. Um, and it does that effectively. Yep. And the only other part I sort of highlighted was Ebert's making the point that where he says, the fact is Potemkin doesn't really stand alone but depends for its power upon the social situation in which it is shown. 
you know, and that's where he's like, well, if you're all happy and everything's fine and good, you just watch this and think, what a weird curiosity it is. But in times of unrest, it has a lot more of an impact than it would outside of that context. So, all right. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Where'd you land on (laughs) the classic Battleship Potemkin? I'll go thumbs up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Up. Thumbs up. I will say I had a thumbs up for me as well. I had a hard time sort of like rating this. Same. Right? Like, how how do you give this stars? I don't. I don't know what scale to rate this on, genuinely. I, I kind of think it like everything in it is perfect, but it doesn't have everything that a movie should have. Sure, sure. If that makes sense? Yeah. Like everything is like a plus, but, but then it, there's like all these like categories of stuff that's yeah. just like, where? where, where? <laughs> Footage not found. Incomplete. Yeah. Exactly. Well, how many stars did you give it, Dylan? I ended up going with three. Um, I did positive. Three also solid mm-hmm. not overwhelmed yep that's i'm debating between like three and three and a half and i think if i mm-hmm. you know given other movies that i've given threes to that i think mm-hmm. i like this a lot better um i'm probably forced to go three and a half yeah fair enough yeah mm-hmm. it's three also My, so we're kind of in the same yeah. plus I'll, I'll i'm willing to like throw a half star for like historical yeah, and importance. i was kind of going sure. back yeah. and forth between three and a half two exactly. because it is very technically made mm-hmm. but t- this morning my brother was asking me like what do you think janet and nick are gonna rate it and i was like i'm gonna be a three janet's gonna be a three and nick's gonna be a three, <laughs> three and, and a half, half. so yeah. i feel yeah, yeah. great that nick went three and a half i went <laughs> solid three for three on the ones today excellent all right so we, do you want to do wrap up now because are we gonna we're gonna do wrap up and then talk about five bloods what do you want to do yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just do wrap up. Okay. And then. Alrighty. Okay, well, thank you to everyone so much for joining us this week. Please come back and join us next week when we will be discussing Beauty and the Beast. And Woo! to be clear, <laughs> not the 1991 Disney animated film, although we're going to talk about yeah, that too. Yeah, we'll get to it. But that, that is not on I'm Ebert. rewatching it. But that is not on Ebert's list, just to be clear. That's fair. That's this fair. is the 1946 uh, cocktail. Starring uh, Emma Watson. The, <laughs> God. No! <laughs> you cannot make me rewatch that, so that's fun. No. Um, not not worth it. Didn't you say that it. was like your least favorite movie of all time, mm-hmm. or there was some? It's, some... It's, it was my least favorite movie of that year for sure, mm-hmm. and it is it is in contention for one of my least favorite. I was I was so mad. That is a movie that I got up and walked out of the theater. I didn't leave because I was there with friends, um, but like I never. It's the only time in my life that I've ever gotten up during a movie. Just I went and got like a cup of coffee from the lobby because I was like I got to do something right now and I can't keep sitting here. And I went and got <laughs> coffee from the concession stand and then came back in and some terrible song was still going on. <laughs> Ugh, so mad. Was it the Was it the original song they wrote it's for the, the new, movie that yeah. was so bad? Yeah, and it's it one of the worst original songs I've ever heard. And it was during the. And I might have left a couple times. I also walked out during the like the sequence that was added when she like goes to see her like yeah. dead mom or oh god. What the hell was that? It was nothing good. Um so yeah, we well, we'll probably talk about it a little bit, um, because God I hate it. But Beauty and the Beast <laughs> next week. Until then, you can follow us on both Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. We want to thank, as always, our friend Scott Brady for our artwork. And you can follow him on Twitter at SBradyArtist. And that is it for this episode. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a good week. Roger Roger out. out. And when I go to the movies, 
I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people.